Yeah, absolutely. I think at first um, it was interesting because I came from a fashion perspective at first, thinking about textiles on the body. And then I had professors and mentors on this new program who were like, we're not starting on the body. We're starting off the body. Um, And just thinking about creating things in space very, very, very freely, um, which is an adjustment to make. Um, But at the end, I think it opened up so many new pathways and you can always come back to the body later. And I think that's really beautiful. I'm talking to Carolina Trinker today. She's a textile designer in New York. Hi. Hi, Carolina. It's lovely to meet you. Yeah, lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Yeah. Are you, you are based in New York? Yeah, um, I moved here to study. Um, So yeah, I just finished my master's and now I'm staying for another year, seeing what happens career-wise and then we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where were you? Yeah, where do you come from? Where were you born? Um, I was born in Vienna, which was why I was excited to hear from you. Oh, uh, wonderful! Yeah. yeah. I I never lived in Austria, but my dad's Austrian, and so I have a lot of family ties there. And I spent a lot of my childhood going um, over to see his family. Um, he's from Schladming, like near Salzburg. Yeah. Um, my mother's from Brazil, so I've had an interesting, <laughs> eclectic upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited to know that. That's, uh, well, no coincidences, you know. <laughs> you from, I, I understood you're from South Africa, living South, in? From South Africa, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so my dad's German, so I also my mom's African, so I also have sort of a, a very interesting mixture of that is, yeah. Of influences, yeah, <laughs> in me. But I love your work. I saw you, you've done such a great um, Instagram page or, or profile where you, where you uh, take us through all these steps and, and you also, there's the video where you explained your work and, and what, you know, what you, you, what the inspiration was of your work. And I think this is so wonderful about social media that we have this opportunity to now see something, you know, on the other side of the world uh, from here. And, but tell me about, first, I want to know what, what initially inspired you to study textile design? Right. So I, I did my undergraduate, um, also at Parsons in fashion design, um, that was a very last minute decision. I was very academically focused um, as a kid. My mom has her PhD in physics. So like I was very much driven in that direction. And then I think I went off to boarding school and realized I was good at it because my mother loved it. Um, Not necessarily (laughs) because it was like um, a natural gift to me. And then I kind of went on um, a gap year that turned somehow into my first year of art school and I transferred to New York. And so so you did science. So you studied science initially, or no, no, not at all. I was I was gonna go into English literature or psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I was applying for universities for um, in the UK at the time because um, I finished high school in the UK. Um, okay. Kind of going in that direction, and then I kind of realized I really missed working with my hands. Um, and that's kind of what I discovered on that gap year. And I kind of had an ultimatum to reach um, where I just thought what's kind of coming to me the most easy in terms of expressing myself. And I realized that it really is um, in the visual arts and with working with my hands. I also like played a lot of music growing up, never at a serious level, but I think something about reading music and like connecting on a sensory level always stuck with me my whole life. And I think, yeah, that's something that I, it took a a moment to tap into, but then, um, yeah, now I'm here and I went into textiles because I finished my undergrad in fashion during COVID, which was interesting because Mm -hmm. I was making everything from my little studio apartment in New York. and I had just gotten my like own mechanical knitting machine and 
I was addicted to it out of nowhere. It it's feels like the size of like a keyboard and, you know, something about the technical challenge really got to me. And I thought um, the world is kind of still at a standstill and it was really at a standstill in fashion in terms of opportunities. So I, um, I had the privilege of having the choice to stay in school and keep going down that road. And yeah, I'm, I'm really happy I did because I got to explore on a completely different yeah, uh, I saw I saw the knitting that you've done, and I, I I I was intrigued. I didn't know it's possible <laughs> to do that type of thing because you have all these um, uh, sort of objects inside the the knitting pattern. So, is this uh, was this the thing that you that you did during lockdown? Because I think yeah. people <laughs> yeah, people experimented a lot. You know, we had time to experiment. So interesting that you did that yeah it's interesting i didn't really know much about knitting from the beginning of lockdown but then um, i'd taken like a few classes on the machine and you know i i decided okay i'm never going to touch a knitting machine again if i don't have my own because i was stuck in my apartment and it was the best piece of equipment i actually happened to have (laughs) to make work on so I think it was a practical thing. And also it's a very meditative process. And the way I plot out those creatures is very much um, using, um, which comes into my work later and has stayed with me, um, using a, like a form of binary code. Um, I don't know if you've knitted before. You have like the knit and the pearl side of the, um, the regular oh, fabric. yeah. yeah. And so by switching those around and twisting them in certain ways, I would like take out grid paper and just kind of try to visualize where the stitches were going and where they'd cross over. And eventually I started finding patterns and creating a language for myself where I could create these sort of low relief um, symbols. They really are quite literal, which is quite funny because knitting can, you know, like knitwear is often quite abstract in terms of surface pattern yeah but um yeah I had a lot of fun with it and I think I I just couldn't stop because I started finding certain patterns and it was inspired very much by hand knitting um especially cable hand knitting so it was a lot of studying by working with my hands um and I'm not like I did not grow up knitting like in my family so it really (laughs) the patience to learn it was was um it, you know what? It was very character building, but um, yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, because but, then you have to have patience with it as well. You do, and I think that that was the right moment on the planet to like, you know, if you were stuck at home, then that was like the moment to be patient. The thing, yeah. Well, I knitted um, uh, years ago. I knitted little sweaters for my children, but I wouldn't say you know, that I would boast about that. <laughs> it was just a basic, just a basic knitting. But um but yeah, I can I can imagine that it but it's knitting is very therapeutic, I think. And yes. and yeah. So I think it's great that you had that during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think something about the machine as well and like translating what you can do with your hands into something that's it's still mechanical, but it's far more automated. So there are things that you could do by hand that you can't do on a machine. Mm-hmm. So kind of like learning that balance and seeing it happen very slowly with two needles versus much faster on a machine. Still pretty slow if you're, I mean, I think when things go faster, you the tendency is you want to make more. So it still feels very yeah. slow. But That's I think, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it is very, I think I found a lot of solace in that. But you did, but so that was the time when you studied still um, fashion design. That was during my last year of fashion. Mm, And that's really what pushed me into textiles. I found that love for that hands-on work. And I thought, I think it'd be a shame to stop here. Yeah. So um, the textile design, so you love the fact that you can create. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me about then the switch, the 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 next <laughs> <laughs> the the textile design, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think at first 
um, it was interesting because I came from a fashion perspective at first thinking about textiles on the body. And then I had professors and mentors on this new program who were like, we're not starting on the body. We're starting off the body. Um, and just thinking about creating things in space very, very, very freely, um, which is an adjustment to make. Um, but at the end, I think it opened up so many new pathways and you can always come back to the body later. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, and yeah, I think I also started to bend and break more rules. So I think, for instance, um, sewing and knitting together and kind of integrating those two together, going deeper into, I do a little bit of machine embroidery and very unorthodox hand embroidery. It's very intuitive. I, I have no like formal teaching in it, but I'm kind of allowing that to mimic the code of the knitting. And I think also seeing that there are similarities in that because in machine embroidery, you do have to code something on a computer as well. Um, so kind of pushing those boundaries of media and translating things between different surfaces. And yeah, often like knits and wovens are just not mixed together. It's something that you just don't do um, just because of the structure of the fabric. The way one pulls is very different from the other. Um, so yeah, I think pushing those boundaries, pushing boundaries of color. And I had some mentors who really, really like pushed me to just make big things as well, mm -hmm. which I never thought to. I'm very like intricate and I like to, and I think also learning to kind of improvise as you go is a big thing. And I learned that a lot as well. I think once you have enough knowledge and you understand the material enough you have to learn to trust yourself to just make and i think because you have that knowledge you will make something that ultimately speaks to your practice speaks to your ideas um and you know coming from fashion you always plan things you sketch things out very precisely you kind of um i mean there's different styles in fashion that are also more improvisatory, but I came from this idea of very planned out. I'm a very yeah. naturally organized person. So kind of learning to, okay, understand my rules that I've kind of created for myself and then just let things happen was very magical because then you really are able to come into like a trance and you could like, you could just not make that scale of work. I think in that amount of time, if you, if you overthought things yeah. <laughs> and I'm, queen overthinker so oh, okay no <laughs> but I'm, I'm, achievement, so, yeah <laughs> yeah I'm thinking now that because you know when you make a dress for example you have to have a pattern and you have to work according to some you know you have to have a specific fabric to go for that specific style so this must have been amazing for you to just let go and and just do and and like you say knitting and and fabric uh and, and even knitting has a pattern, you know, if you really yeah. knit according to a pattern. So it, you, it must have been amazing to just break these rules, to just see yeah. what happens, because I think it's, we rarely do that. It's true. And I, I think, so I made like a bodysuit for my friend who modeled the piece for me. I and saw, is that the one on Instagram? Yeah, that's the embryo yeah. one where she's connected to all the pieces. Yeah. And I remember, um, I'm so lucky I, that she's such a great friend. She's so patient with me because she came over to me like, and I would fit things on her. But I remember that that kind of pattern making was the first time I really allowed things to be fluid. Because I think when you design for a body, you do need to calculate things and you, you need to like gauge the stitch size for the yarn and you have to write all these things down. And otherwise it kind of just if you want to make something that isn't cut and sewn together and that is like we call fully fashioned, um, you do need a lot of calculation. And I think I'd come into a flow with her that I was able to be very loose with numbers all of a sudden and kind of just improvise my way along the page and kind of, kind of work by seeing as well, which is 
different. So yeah, I think it's very freeing when you're able to know the rules and in certain situations you respect them. And then I think in other situations you need to be able to just trust that you know enough <laughs> to yeah. make something work. So I think that that was, that was amazing about the textiles program. It was, it was very um, freeing and very um, it, freeing, but also it taught you to find that confidence in yourself that once you'd, I mean, I never say I mastered anything because I think there's always a million other ways to do something, but if you have a system in place that you can work with, I think, yeah, there are moments to build on that system and there are moments to just allow it to take over and see what happens. So, yeah. But do you think because you did the fashion design and you did this, uh, you know, working with the rules, within the rules, that mm -hmm. that, that was maybe also uh, um, maybe easier to break the rules then because you knew you knew what, what you were supposed to do, but then it was easier to see, okay, but this fabric or this way of doing it, I can expand or I can do it differently because it it will allow that. For sure. I think in every medium, like I remember back when I still played music, um, I, I was never like, I could never get to the point where I could improvise, for example. And I think it was because I didn't understand those basic rules of harmony enough to okay. find that confidence to just kind of meddle about and play. And so I think in, in everything we do, um, even in, I collaborated with a dancer for a, like a, a performance at an exhibit I had here a couple months ago. And it was interesting because we spoke about it and she said, okay, I'm going to choreograph the first half of this and the second half, I'm just going to let loose. And it was really quite magical to see her improvise and feel so organic with the pieces towards the end of the performance. And afterwards, I think now we've created such an interesting friendship where she's told me a lot about dance and like the way you do need to understand the basics of choreography, certain movements, the way that they will speak to an audience. But then once you've learned those rules, because you know them, you find ways to speak even further with them. So the way you bend something or the way you like choose to do something different is going to say so much more. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I spoke to a, a harpist a while ago and we talked about improvisation and mm -hmm. he said that it's actually something you have to learn to do. And it's, um, and, and it's almost what, what you're saying, you know, it's this letting go moment but but realizing what you're letting go of you know yes. that makes it uh, possible to do to do what you're doing exactly it's like a very it's like a very um polarized thing because on the one hand you ha you need to have learned a set of kind of um you, you need to know i think rules i think you know, just like language, it's kind of arbitrary. We invent words, we invent grammar, we invent, and it kind of is a generational thing that, you know, takes over and kind of, I think we all have an impact on it, but it's something that kind of happens just within humanity. I think it's the same with other forms of language in different art sectors, but then, so you, you have these rules and then you need to really understand them in order to speak to them differently. So it's like being able to come back to that common ground and then also reject certain things or um, yeah. sort of pull certain things around. But I think that that is, I think, yeah, those rules are necessary for us to communicate in a way. They are like the base language that then once people see you've done something different, they understand what's different. So yeah, I think it's it's this very polarized thing of push and pull. And sometimes you adhere to certain things, sometimes you don't. If you completely abandon all the rules all the time, I think yeah. kind of exist in a vacuum. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much this push and pull. And the more people I talk to doing different things, it's so interesting how no matter 
what you're working in, it is a play of when you follow them and when you choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's tr- that makes sense and that's true. But you said now that uh, you had the freedom and, and also your mentors gave you the freedom to uh, to explore all these different things. Um, do you think now that you can express yourself much better or easier when you now s- approach a project or, or want to do something? Yes and no. I think having, I think it's, I think whenever I start something brand new, I I have this phase where I kind of hate what I'm doing. It's like a really strange <laughs> self-doubt that like takes over. It's usually a good sign though. And I always try to tell myself because I've done it now like a couple times where I realize it all ends up okay as long as you keep making and as long as you ignore those, well, not ignore those feelings, but kind of like, allow them to exist in a different corner of your mind <laughs> and yeah. don't let them stop you from making because I always say like there's going to be a few days where you work really hard on something you finish it and it's not what you wanted um but you need to make those things in order to get closer to what your kind of purpose was in the beginning and you can't get there that stuff is as useful as everything that you're happy with and that you feel was successful. Um, I don't think it's any less valuable. I keep everything, <laughs> like I label everything mm-hmm. and I keep it all together. So yes and no, like I think knowing that those feelings are usually a sign that I'm pushing a boundary is good. And having done that a couple times with the support of my mentors telling me, no, keep going, keep going. You have to keep making. And you have to keep, you know, sometimes you do have to like be flexible and switch tracks a little bit. You do have to let your experiments guide you. It's um, definitely not trying to beat down a brick wall either, but just never rejecting anything that you've produced, I think is so, so important. And um, so, yeah, I think, and then eventually you get into a state of flow where things do start to come together. And that's the most like euphoric feeling. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I think yes and no, because you still every time have to learn to trust yourself all over again. Um, I think at least that's my experience every time. I, and yeah. then it does eventually come into something interesting. And then I'm like, oh, and I was panicking for what, you know? <laughs> so I think it, <laughs> yeah. I think I it is understand. this interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can understand that. And I think it's also uh, because if I look at your project, it must have been like something that evolved, you know, that it's like, okay, this idea, but then it's, you you must have, uh, or I can ask you now that in, in the process, new ideas came because of something you made that you didn't think of in the, in the beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think. For instance, so I made that series of five pieces, um, mainly starting end of January this year. I had a pretty massive knee surgery beforehand. It was an interesting time, but I think sometimes those things push you even harder. And I think um, I'd made one of the pieces, the yellow anti one, um, at the end of the year before, and I was not happy with it. And I remember I was like, no, you have to make it. You can go back and change it in a few months. It's fine. But you do have to just produce something that is finished for the time being. And I did. And then I kind of explored it and I looked at it and I thought, why am I not happy with this? (laughs) And I think that's always the question you have to ask. um, Is like, if you aren't happy or if someone also doesn't understand your work, you have to understand what part of my communication didn't come through. But um, I think, yeah, I had like a long sit with it. (laughs) And then I kind of started sketching more and I realized, okay, this is why. This something about the form didn't feel right. And once I like kind of plotted out what was coming next, um, yeah, I went back and I like took it apart (laughs) and like raced it in a different way. Yeah, my, my mentors were actually telling me not to, but I was like, under this strong conviction that I just wouldn't be happy if I didn't rearrange it. And sometimes 
you do have to follow that gut feeling. But that I think intuition. Long way, yeah, and I think because I made a piece that I wasn't fully satisfied with, I was able to question myself and think, what is it about this form that isn't saying what I want it to say? And what is it that make, makes me like uncomfortable? And I think mm. always taking that feedback as something to grow from, it's never negative. Like it's, mm. it's really never a negative thing to dislike something. Um, I think it's a point of reference and it's very valuable. Um, well, you just, yeah. you just <laughs> have so many life lessons in your, in your story, really. <laughs> I can just think of all the things that, you know, that, that you've just said now, that's really life lessons that that's, that we can all gain something from. Thank you. That that means a lot. I think yeah. um I think textiles are a very like human thing. I mean, we've been, you know, I mean, especially for women. I mean, we've been working for them for so so long and I think that yeah, the patience involved and the sort of time it takes um and the sort of understanding and being able to see things a different way it's it is like it is a past gener like it's a general trend sorry it's a generational wisdom that's like passed down i think there's so much wisdom in it just like intrinsically which is yeah why but i love you it just if you just think of of um women making quilts for example you know if yeah. you take that and if you think of the stories around that as well, and it's all to do with fabric and it's all to do with expression and telling stories. And it's true, you know, what you're saying that we are um, women specifically, you know, that we are in, in a way uh, connected to fabric because it's about clothing and it's about warmth and and nurturing. I think it's it's that thing. But yeah, tell me about this um embryo project of yours absolutely um yeah i had a lot of fun i think it was also the most uh, kind of intense <laughs> project i've worked on just because of the amount of time i had with my thesis and also like the way i think sometimes ideas come to you in the last minute and you can't help it you can't help it and you have to decide if you're going to pursue those ideas or not um and so i kind of worked on that i think embryo is like a culmination of what i explored from when i started like exploring more in the knitting machine and i think it started with this idea of binary code and grid systems and this idea of like common ground um i first kind of started playing around with checks and I kind of enjoyed the idea of taking men's shirts as a sort of skin of conformity but I took them in very vivid colors that don't feel like a male palette at the same time so I started that's how I kind of started playing with with color and with like underlying structures um, that also get disrupted by like the form of the shirt itself. So I started exploring that. And over my time on the master's program, I also started exploring why it is that I wanted to knit so many bugs. <laughs> because oh. I'm a bug person. And everyone was asking me, like, why did you start with this ant? Why why are you knitting like yeah. um reptiles now? And I said, you know, I don't know. And I had to really think about what these sorts of creatures had to do with the code I was exploring and also the space that I kind of discovered my love for knitting was a space where everything was heavily dependent on digital and like flat screens and this kind of lack of tangible um, materiality and I kind of started comparing binary code in textiles with binary code in computing and I'm definitely not a computer scientist, but I, I had a lot of fun just thinking about the history of textiles as well and how some of the original, some some people consider the original like jacquard machines for weaving um, as some of the first computers because you work with a system of binary code to be able to produce things. Oh, yeah. So I started playing around with that idea and with, yeah, this idea of the grid, 
this idea of conformity because code conforms to a very like rigid system. And that's where it started. Then I realized, okay, the bugs I'm in, like interested in, they're all like swarm creatures. And it made me think of the ways we navigate kind of blindly online and the way we don't actually understand the platforms we're working on. I definitely don't understand how my MacBook really works and how all these images like come up. So I started exploring it from a very naive perspective, I would say. And I started comparing these kind of cold-blooded creatures with with our representations online. Um, And then for Embryo, sorry, this is a very long-winded answer. For Embryo, I started kind of thinking of cubes and then started to think of like different geometries. And I have a very um, interesting mentor who he's very interested in, I think, so he, he's, I don't know how to describe his wisdom. It's somewhere between the sciences and also spirituality. And he said to me, you're exploring like geometries and colors of the chakras. And he said, I don't know if you are like aware of it. And I said, no, cause that's sort of not my realm. But when I looked into it, I realized the geometries I was kind of drawing out and experimenting with were very similar to the platonic solids. And that's how it came in. And I thought, okay, we used platonic solids to explain our universe when there was no other way to kind of depict it. Um, And that's where I feel like we've created this fourth dimension that we don't actually really understand. Um, And so how can we explain that to ourselves? And so that's where this kind of play between the old and the new, like craft and technology um, and different forms of representation came in. So yeah, the geometries came in very much on their own. And then with some guidance um, um, from some really incredible people um, who helped me kind of see what I wasn't seeing in my own work, which was so funny. It was a very amazing. Yeah. 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 Now that you talk about the chakras, I now I can I'm going to go back and, and have a look, but I can remember seeing those those uh, shapes. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And I think um, I definitely approached it in a very unorthodox way. So I had in my final master's exhibit some people who'd studied philosophy and like looked at me very funny and were like, "I kind of see it, but I think you've like kind of broken the rules a bit." And I was like, "Yeah." Um, I think they kind of infiltrated my work more than me trying to replicate them. So that was like an interesting, it was, it's very interesting to have dialogues with people who will see very different things. Um, And with the colors, I still don't know. I still don't know. I think those are something that just came through the work. I started thinking about primary colors the way glitches happen on a screen, like the colors that pop out, um, these kind of telltale signs that it's all kind of um, a platform for illusion. Um, So that's kind of where color came in for me, I think, as well. But it's so lovely to hear this this almost explanation of of, uh, everything you thought about, you know, while you were doing it. Because I think looking at the artwork uh, itself, it's very interesting, and and you know if you see the name, you sort of get your have your own thoughts and and yeah. sort of uh, you know have your own feeling about it. But hearing your thoughts about it and and how you how it evolved, is, you know, and and how the influences came from other people, makes it so much more interesting to to look at you know so uh i'm definitely going to go back and and (laughs) after this and have a look at it again yeah because i find it so fascinating i also like you you did a lot of embroidery on it as well yeah yeah so i embroidered like pixelated versions of the knitted creatures i also hand embroidered the binary code I had a kind of system for my embroidery in place. And then I also embroidered QR codes, which is, I think, my favorite part um, because they are scannable. And so I kind of would try to find like 
to me, they kind of feel like little portals and further layers of, I like to call like the textiles legible. Like I think I did a little research. I had um, a sort of textile philosophy class on my course and we spoke a lot about kind of textiles as metaphor and I explored Aaron knitting. Um, and for me, what was incredulous was that I need to plot things down when I think of a 3D form coming through in it, but they can just see it and read it. So like you would be hiding certain pair, like patterns from different families, perhaps because people could look at the surface of the fabric and be able to replicate and read the fabric mm -hmm. from sight. And so, um, yeah, I like to think of different ways to bring layers of, of different languages through. And I think maybe that's partly because of my upbringing um, with I, I having learned many languages just due to my circumstances and just kind of thinking of all like the different rules and the different words you can say. So like, yeah, the the um, QR codes that I embroidered were like kind of first programmed on my computer. I'd, I use a little platform online where I can like some QR codes are dynamic, so you can connect them to different links at different times and go and change them. Um, so I just had a lot of fun on a very like, um, you know, I'm I'm not a like a technician, but I just had a lot of fun of how no, do you I can imagine. face with. And then I also just met this incredible animator from the Netherlands who worked with me to bring augmented reality into it. So we like registered the whole artworks each of the five on a platform also from Vienna actually called Artivive. And through that, um, yeah, it, it's crazy how now the pieces also exist in a digital space with actual movement in them as well. So I think I just had a lot of fun playing with like. So you the, use different mediums now as well with, with, the, with technology as well. I think so. I would loosely say that. I think I, I, I have found some incredible like collaborations as well. I think my use of technology is very much still textile focused. Um, and I'm also like just very excited to bridge the world of craft and digital. Um, oh. I would also call it craft, honestly, mm -hmm. um, together. Um, because I think, yeah, there's just so much to be shared in that space. I remember the animator I mean, like yeah. saw the physical works and it's very different from her medium. And so she said, this is so funny because she usually works with certain images that are like maybe more flat. So for her to work with like a three-dimensional crafted object is also bizarre. Um, so yeah. So she's also being challenged to break the rules a little bit <laughs> you seem to have that influence on people <laughs> it's good fun it's good yeah. fun to get to get lost together <laughs> yeah you're not who's sure gonna work every time but <laughs> okay who's the animator you worked with her name's Marcia Simmons her artist name is life on Mars which I, th I think is just genius because her work really yeah. reflects character yeah and she's from the netherlands i met her online i met her for the first time in person this week which was crazy um mm. yeah but we met online maybe, we lose yeah, maybe i can do an interview with her as well that would be very interesting absolutely i can connect yeah. you with her yeah yes absolutely. please that would be great yeah. yeah but now um carolina how long did this whole project the the embryo project how long did that take you to make um, I think from concept development, I would say it took the whole year, two years of my master's, because I think I made other projects and like sizable ones too in between, but I think I wouldn't have gotten to embryo without them. So I think okay. con conceptually, I think it was something that built over time and I needed to produce other things to get to. And I think this is also probably a stepping stone to whatever I'm making next. So that's like my fluffy answer. But I think um, physically, like to craft it, um, I didn't know what embryo would be, I think, until like 
December, January, um, the past one. So I worked and I, I didn't start, I think, physically really making until January. And I finished, I think, early May. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's I, also the process of thinking of, of in your head of knowing what you want to create. That's also part of the time that you spend. Absolutely. Uh, as creation. Yeah, I think like the three, four months before that, I was kind of really, I, I was still making things because I think even if you're not sure what the next big thing is going to be, you need to keep making. And a lot of the time, what you're making is already part of it somehow, oh, yeah. um, which is really interesting. So sometimes you're making before you know what you're really doing and it, you need it to guide you there. Um, but I don't think I had like a solid idea of, you know, sketched things out. I mean, you, you never really adhere completely to your sketches. I think, I think something always changes along the way because you see things in reality and they, you change your mind about certain things, but I didn't have like, I, at first it was going to be four pieces actually. And then I think I decided in January, no, I'm going to make five <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> because it just made sense um, in terms of, structure yeah. five is like a more rounded out number and like with the person at the center of you know being plugged into them all it just felt more and also just having um had my eyes open to oh these are kind of like the platonic solids i realized okay i need i need the fifth one here so i think there's always things that will surprise you and i would say like yeah until december or january um it took me three or four months to really like make an experiment before I had like a solid idea of what I was pursuing. And then at that point it took me, I think, yeah, another four or five months to make the series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. That's always the, it takes less time to make it than it does to think about it. Sometimes it's a very weird, like you spend more time thinking than making a lot of the time. It's a very weird thing. I think so. I think really that's true. And I spoke to a, a composer also a while ago who said that she actually um, avoids people and going places. She, she just in her head has to figure out what she wants to do and then she starts composing. And I sometimes think we, we um, you know, don't consider that time as a very important time, the time of just thinking, you know, of just figuring something out in your head before you start yeah i think that moment of quiet and maybe solitude i yeah. i don't know about i i think a lot of artists are the type who need that solitude and to block out noise to yeah. be able to think like i think in my studio environment and with the processes that i do a lot of time that just when I was making without much direction, that was a time for me to just keep my hands moving and like think, even if yeah. I wasn't always writing it down, but it just being alone, being with the technique. And then I think I remember a lot of my peers with me, we would say like, um, I think there's like moments for feedback as well that are super important. And there are moments where actually the feedback shouldn't be there. I think when you're still in that moment where it's like if you're trying to solve a math problem and you have the numbers in your head and if someone interrupts you, you forget which oh, numbers yeah. you're working with. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the same thing, except it's um, sometimes you're still discovering things. And if someone comes in and interjects you in that very like fragile moment, it can really like disrupt. So I think that's also just a very, I'm I'm sure... A lot of people have that moment where they need feedback and then they have moments where they're like, I kind of just need to be left alone yeah. and find something to say and to, to receive feedback on as well. So yeah, that moment yeah. of quiet. And I think sometimes because you, you see, you know what you're seeing in your head and people don't, then you sort of don't need that feedback then, you know, then it's, then it will distract you really from from where you are going so I can absolutely understand that 
But Carolina, mm. tell me now, what, what is the wish now for you for the future? What oh, is next for you? <laughs> um, I, I want to keep making. Um, I think so. I have an exhibit next week with, uh, in Dutch Design Week in Eindhoven, which is very exciting, um, which is another opportunity to show my work and a perfect time to receive feedback and see what people react to and what yeah. speaks to them and hear. Because I think it's very interesting that I love how you kind of had your own ideas about the project before I had something to say. I think that that moment is so crucial that before you explain to someone what your intention was, that they have a moment to kind of interpret it in their own way. I think yeah. that that is so, so, so valuable. I never um, like to over explain what I've done just because I really want to hear like what other people see. And yeah. sometimes they see things I didn't, or I realize that if I want to communicate something that's important to me, I need to do it a bit differently. But um, yeah, for my future, sorry about that. For my future, I definitely want to keep making and I think that that looks like hopefully another large embryo <laughs> scale project in the near future and hopefully collaborating with more incredible individuals. I think if I've learned every, anything with this project is I collaborated with an amazing photographer um, to capture the work, which is priceless. I collaborated with a, a dancer who moved in my work. I want to explore that, how to bring that sort of um, digital space, but also a very like physical space into the work, just because it is like such the textiles have such a tangible nature to them. And I, I don't want that kind of human aspect to be lost in it if it's just sitting on a wall, for example. So I want to explore performance, I want to explore still further digital connection into that abstract space. And yeah, hopefully just meet other incredible people who we can kind of share knowledge and share perspectives. I think that that's the dream for now. And hopefully I'm looking into finding ways to allow the art to feed itself also like on a financial level. And I think that that's something every artist has to sort of struggle with at the beginning. How am I going to make this feed itself? And eventually I need it to feed me. So yeah. I, that's like a crucial moment in my career where I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm having an amazing time. And I also need to think of where does this sit in the world that it could really have an impact and find a way to have enough meaning to continue existing, I think. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. into finding a way to keep making. Yeah. Yeah, so that's also very important, and that's what many artists, many musicians, artists all over say, you know, that it's that now you have to think of the business side, you know, and how to look after yourself financially also, because it's like you you create and you do these things, but you need you need it to, to be sustainable. Yeah, and I think that's part of the art too. I think... Um... I think um, part of the beauty of an art that can feed itself is that it has found purpose in the world that people really wanted to be there. So I think that finding that space is important. And as someone with a design background, I might look into making some apparel pieces too to help kind of bring people in on a different level. Um, I'm exploring all those options. And I think, yeah, I think part of the art really for an artist is also I think the business side is almost as important in some ways because yeah. that kind of yeah that's how you keep it alive and exactly. the way you choose to do that and whether you're able to stay true to your to your intentions and to your message while you do it is an art in itself because it's very hard <laughs> yeah. yeah no that's that's absolutely true and it's um you know, I, I love that that artists are so open and honest about it because I think that's also something that we also don't think about, but it's it's there and it needs to be. And it's the public and it's the the support. You know, we we come and see these beautiful artworks, but uh, 
you know we need to to be to allow the the artists to be able to do that and mm -hmm. for us to see it and to also be inspired by it so Absolutely. yeah that's that's true Absolutely. But i hope to one day meet you in person i hope that you will one day come and do an exhibition in vienna i will you have to come back and do that uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would love to meet you in person too yeah so uh that would be wonderful and um and i wish you all the best for all the work you're doing you really this continue on instagram it's so inspiring it's so wonderful to see how you do it um it's not you you're not just creative with the fabric you're very creative on your on your instagram page as well I mean, you do it's so lovely yeah no it's, it's it's really catchy and um and yeah all the best for your future thank you so much peter this was such an interesting conversation and like i enjoy hearing about the parallels i think you've spoken to so many people i was so like yeah. blown away by how many different people from different disciplines you've spoken with and it's interesting to hear when you come in with parallels that you've heard from completely different environments so it's really mm -hmm. fascinating to speak with you no oh, thank you it's yeah it is interesting and and i'm trying to show that art how different forms of art really um well, we don't recognize always, but, and, and like, uh, for example, this, what you are doing, the textile art, um, it's also something that, like you say, in, we, we think of clothing, it's mm -hmm. also, a, you know, it's the form of art and it's the textile, but what you're doing is or really exploring textile in, in ways that we don't think about. So it's also important that 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 is um there and that we can see it and that it opens the mind you know it opens your mind when you see things like that because then you see the possibilities and i think that is that is what art shows us and it's it's the different possibilities that um you know that that we can explore yeah no absolutely yeah. Absolutely. especially with something so culturally saturated already i think absolutely yeah yeah but have a lovely day and please let me know um if i can speak to you the the um animator that you worked with that would be very interesting to talk to her as well absolutely i'll okay. i'll i'll send you her way uh, i'll send her your way sorry okay okay <laughs> okay carolina have a lovely weekend you too take good care thank you bye